We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Podcast. I'm Jeff Erickson here with Joe Bartell. As always, we are sponsored by Yahoo Fantasy Sports and Yahoo Daily Fantasy Sports. Thanks to Yahoo for their sponsorship. Go play their best ball. Good stuff. You'll hear more about that a little bit later on. Today, we advance, talk a lot about uh, the lots of news coming out of uh, training camp. I want to say lots of news coming out of Bengals camp, and it's not just because I'm a Bengals fan, Joe, uh, a self-hating one at that, but there's actually big news. Uh, we, we spent over the weekend, A.J. Green got hurt, injured his hamstring, and it went from, oh, or, or not hamstring, excuse me, injured his ankle, went from being a low ankle sprain, not looks like we dodged a bullet, to torn, ten, torn ligaments in his ankle. All of a sudden, it's six to eight weeks pending a visit to the specialist, which happens on Monday. Right. And even then it could be later. Like we were kind of progr- uh, pro while well, we were at least we're pro- potentially projecting uh, when we were talking to Sirius XM earlier today. Like it, it's a very real likelihood that AJ Green, who's 
a guy that was maybe considered in the third round, fourth round in ADPs could end up slipping substantially because we just don't know. And, and even when we do get information, how can we realistically project a guy that's over 30 years old to be able to function in an offense that wasn't going to be good to enter the season? Certainly is going to be worse now without his presence involved. It's, it's a worst case scenario that you could hope for, but maybe it might actually be good news for the Bengals they just weren't going to be good anyway, even with AJ green, this might actually help them acquire a decent quarterback. Uh, if they have a pretty lousy season, like we think they will. Yeah. Um, and the thing is like next year, uh, QB class is supposed to be pretty good. The year after is supposed to be pretty good. And it's not just, you want to be pretty good. It's also, you want to, you want to get the elite guy. I mean, it's hard to find that franchise quarterback. And I, I, I don't. I think the Bengals' problems run deeper than ha- not having a, a franchise quarterback. Yeah, uh, but that's a good starting place too. Right. I mean, obviously they need to invest more into their team itself. Like that's that's really the the crux of it. Andy Dalton, um, I think, for what he's done the past few years is fine, but he's not going to win you many games. And that's been his whole shtick for a while. Him and Ryan or or Ryan Tannehill too. I, I felt the same way. It's like, I don't understand why these contracts are giving out to marginal players at best. And well, uh, we might not be able to actually see the Bengals get a talented guy. If they suffer as much as we think they probably are going to, at least I do. I don't know. Like, are you all that optimistic about about the Bengals this season? Cause I certainly am not. No, I'm very pessimistic about the Bengals. Very <laughs> which, pessimistic. Which we could see in the article that you wrote. Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, we can see that uh, profusely. Uh, you know, the thing is, nothing's going to change until the owner changes. Until the or you know, either he actually sells the team, or he decides, okay, I'm not running the franchise anymore. I'm going to hire more real pe- real front office people, more scouts. I'm going to you know, let football people make football decisions more often, maybe actually go sign a free agent or two. Um, it, it's really depressing. If you read my article on this on rotowire.com uh, with all the other team previews, excellent job by our crew. Great job by uh, Eric Couturier rounding them all up and posting them in Mike Doria too. Uh, you can tell I am not very optimistic about the Bengals this year. I, I don't think they did much. And that was before bad things started happening. We dis- we d- detail this on the SiriusXM show today, uh, but Jonah Williams, their first round pick, great pick, very happy about him, out for the year, torn pectoral, shoulder muscle, labor in his shoulder, he is out for the season, great. You know, it's, it follows a, the kind of a tradition of Bengals first round picks. Same thing happened to William Jackson the uh, third. Same thing, ha- you know, not exactly the same thing happened to, to Billy Price or John Ross. They both played parts of their their rookie season, but. They, there's a Bengals first round curse going on right now, and it it, it hit itself big. They also lost uh, another offensive lineman, Clint Bowling, for due to retirement. Uh, Billy Price, the aforementioned last year's first round pick, is on the non football injury list. Just ugly, ugly for a mediocre offensive line to begin with, Joe. Yeah, and and John Ross, uh, who you mentioned as well, he's potentially going to be missing some time this season with a hamstring injury, whether it's preseason or regular season, I think we're kind of still debating or at least kind of figuring out, but that's multiple weapons for the receiving core. The offense line's already been shattered and we haven't even gotten one snap in a preseason game, much less regular season game. They were always going to be the worst team in the AFC North. That was unquestionable in my opinion, how bad they would be in the AFC in general is still up for debate. But if you are thinking they would be better than the dolphins, I think you have to have some serious question marks around that statement now because they just don't have the talent level on either side of the ball where you can feel confident saying this is going to be maybe a six one team. I don't I don't even think we're at that point right now. 
Yeah, hard hard to find a line in Vegas where you go below six, but uh, you know because six is still pretty darn bad. That's a pretty hopeless team, unless you're like won one game the previous year, then you're showing inc- incremental progress. But uh, yeah, it, it's pretty ugly. Uh, they, there's not much hope, and especially because you know the other three teams in the division all have their reasons for optimism. There, there there's some shaky ground in Pittsburgh, sure that you know no Antonio Brown, no Lev Bell. It's a different year for them, but there's still plenty of reasons. To be, you know, plenty of players, plenty of horses in the stable. Uh, obviously, optimism is rampant in Cleveland right now, which is weird, but it, it's there. Baker Mayfield looks really good. Now they have Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, they have a lot, a lot of different you know, options for him there. Really strong players on the offensive side of the ball. And, I, you know, and quietly, this defense has been getting better already, too, with all these accumulation of draft picks. You know, just, you know, I wish the trust the process guys would get a chance to finish it out. Sashi Brown. I know, know. Me too. You know. And everyone wants to just uh, poop on the Sashi Browns of the world. I, I don't blame them to some extent, but you could you could tell it was those people that just think football needs to be done one way, that there aren't multiple ways to do things. And that was the reason why Sashi Brown got the short end of the stick. His idea of accumulating picks off of players that aren't very good or, or aren't going to have higher promise or potential is not a bad strategy. What it's accumulated, what we've been able to develop now is as far as a team in Cleveland this season entering not just with playoff aspirations, but dare I say Super Bowl aspirations. And, and that feels uncomfortable when we're talking about Cleveland Browns, but I think it's a possibility. They have to win first, and I, I want to see them win first, but they're among the elite teams in the AFC at the moment. It's it's the Patriots, it's the Chiefs, it's the Chargers, and then there's a lot of other teams the Browns are in that mix. That was in part, large part because they just got so many picks to take chances on players, and some of those players panned out, some of them didn't. But I, I always liked that stra- strategy that Sashi Brown had, and I, I thought it was frustrating to see people almost reflexively dismiss it when, in reality, we've now kind of seen the fruits bear a little bit to the point where this is this is a relevant roster, and it could be a relevant roster for multiple seasons. Of course, you got to hit in the quarterbacks and everything else like that, and trading for Odell Beckham and getting those star players makes a big difference too. But that all happened before. Like There was promise for the Browns even last season, and now we're starting to kind of see this all come together. And I'm excited to watch the AFC North division overall compete for a spot, except for the Bengals. I don't, I don't want to watch any Bengals games unless I am like – forced to <laughs> as i say every year i'll do it so you don't have to it's okay thank you, thank I, I, you. i'm a giver <laughs> that way uh but you know at least i'll you know the thing is uh you know I think Sashi Brown, a lot of people dunked on him because Carson Wentz was good immediately uh, and really good and in his second Watson. year. And Deshaun Watson. Uh, uh, and he passed on both. I mean, he had his chances uh, to get to get either one of those guys and traded away the pick uh, that would have landed Wentz and, you know, just pat, straight up passed on Watson. So I get it. But at the same time, I like the build a foundation, put a quarterback on top of it. And I like that method. I think it's a smart method. And there is a element, on, at least for me on Twitter, where there's a good percentage of people that are Sashi Brown defenders. Uh, the most vocal of those is Evan Silva, I think. Uh, but, it, you know, I think they're right. I, I tend to be of that camp as well. But I'm also a very pro analytics for whatever it's worth. Uh, so I, I would have liked to have seen it run out. I'd like to have seen the Sixers run it out, you know, with their trust, the process, the same GM instead of uh, what happened in the aftermath there. So not that the Sixers are a bad team, but they're going to fall short. But now I'm falling, falling for a field, not talking football anymore. Let's go back to the Browns. Duke Johnson is dealing with a hamstring injury. Didn't practice today. He's about their only major injury so far staying in the division. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's a bigger deal for his trade candidacy potential than it really is for the Browns offense. Like it, at best, they're going to be using him maybe 30, 40% of the snaps. And I know a lot of people out there are really excited to see Duke Johnson in that offense. And while I'm not among them, I understand what his talent means and having as many talented guys on the field certainly helps. But if everything's working right with the Browns offense, and there's no reason not to assume it will, it's going to be a lot of three wide receiver sets with David Njoko out there as well. There's very, very few times you're having two running backs out there. And I don't think you want to take Nick Chubb off the field very often. So how many snaps is Duke Johnson really going to have? I understood exactly why he wanted to be traded. And even it, it it's a little bit, I, I've, I've been very pro players get their money. So I'm all for that, but it's a little bit frustrating to see him want to get traded or get, get the new contract, then want to get traded almost right away. Like it felt a little bit like you can't have your pie and eat it too sort of deal. But at the same time, I understood what he was doing. Um, I, I'm not as high on Duke Johnson as a lot of people are, but it's tough to discount his talent. And if he's missing any time that only hurts him more than I think it hurts the team. Yeah, I, I, I think so too. But I mean, I also get players want to play. You know, and his usage has been frustrating the last couple of years. Uh, You would have thought, you know, maybe when Freddie Kitchens took over halfway through the season, okay, maybe Duke Johnson would be freed, but he he really wasn't. I think maybe for a game or two. But part of that is just Chubb is so good. Uh, Yeah. And then you, you bring in Hunt and that really makes it harder for him. I get it. I understand that. Even if Hunt suspended half the season, still, it's kind of frustrating. Yeah, he's just not going to see the field all that often. So great. And there's some teams that could really use a running back. The Buccaneers, for as much as I love Ronald Jones, could absolutely use a guy like Duke Johnston and whatever price you want to pay for him. Maybe it's a fourth or fifth round pick. And that's probably on the high scale, given what we've seen other players go for. Um, I, I, I don't see why they wouldn't do a deal like that. And it's been it's been a little baffling with as many teams that need running backs out there that we haven't seen more trade interest for a guy like Duke Johnson or even the hypotheticals like Melvin Gordon that hasn't even been kicked around despite his contract negotiations. You haven't really heard a serious contender for somebody interested in him. And that, that again goes back to the fact that I think the Chargers will end up signing Melvin Gordon because we, if there was real trade interest for Melvin Gordon, we would have seen some sort of report happen. Now, same goes for Duke Johnson. This is your hourly, very bullish uh, comment on the Chargers from Joe Bartell. Uh, it is only sponsored by Joe Bartell, not not Yahoo Daily Fantasy Sports or RotoWire even. But no, I'm, I'm with you on that. Actually, uh, I, I think that you're right. Um, and we we discussed him a little bit last week too, or two weeks ago even. Uh, and even though they're supposedly very far apart, I still think they find, they cross that uh, gap eventually. Uh, so we'll no, see. It's funny. I, I tease Todd Zoll every time we've done media stuff together, and it's been a lot recently about how we have to get his contractually obligated Red Sox taken every single time we talk to him. That feels like what's going to be surfacing for the the Chargers, and they're not even my favorite team. Like I'm a, I'm a Packers truther all the way through, but at the same time, I've I've analyzed and watched this Chargers situation and their team and how they've been treating people or treating players unfold for three or four or five seasons down. I feel like I have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen, and there isn't enough people, at least in the national media that seem to have a good grasp on it. So I'll keep yelling at everyone to understand that this is a situation where Melvin Gordon is going to end up coming back to the team. Stop fading him in drafts. He's going to end up signing uh, at some point, And I think he'll still have a huge impact on their offense. Right on. All right. Uh, let's go. Uh, we are touring the AFC North. I want to continue doing that. Let's talk a little Ravens. Saw a note today. 
Um, John Harborough said Harborough said that he expects Jackson to t- Lamar Jackson to top Cam Newton's career high of 139 carries in a season. I mean, he, he you know he actually did that already last year with 147. So <laughs> right. cor- and that was in a half a season. So it really shouldn't be groundbreaking that that's the line. But I I think there was some talk in May that you know I think the owner Steve Bashotti said that you know he won't run as often. In 2019, and that might cool the Jets on some people here. Um, Jackson, I think he's going to run a lot. You know, he was—he's still 22. Um, he's a very effective runner. I think he's going underdrafted. Uh, you look at the NFFC now. Granted, that's a, a league where passing touchdowns are worth six points, so rushing quarterbacks do get hurt a little bit there. Uh, but he's the 21st quarterback getting taken there. Uh, yeah. I, well, I think quarterbacks are being undervalued like Philip Rivers, like even Jimmy Garoppolo um, and the Lamar Jackson Trubisky's who's Trubisky's number 22 or no, he's actually a little bit higher than Lamar Jackson, but there's a lot of quarterbacks in the NFFC format that are probably a little bit later than, or at least you'd be surprised to see just given how much depth there is at the position this year in fantasy. I think it really understates the de- that depth issue. Um, and this is why please, please, please play in a QB flex league. People play with yes. the super flex. You know, do something where you can involve two quarterbacks, you know, and it's the most important position in the league, yet it's so devalued in our game. Uh, and I happen to love the QB flex leagues that I play in and the key in and even a straight up two QB league that I'm in. Uh, it just it's a game changer. My uh, family and friends league is a two QB league and it's a keeper dynasty sort of format has some odd little wrinkles to it, which I I love. And it makes it makes me want to care about that league even more so than other leagues that might be higher money value wise. But it's one of those things. The two QB is a great strategy change. Like maybe it's just because you and I've been doing this in the industry now for a little while. We've kind of grown accustomed to the, all right, let's wait on the quarterbacks, nine, 10, 11 range. We'll go get a Jameis Winston. Maybe if Ben Roethlisberger falls, certainly the last two years, that's always worked out or Patrick Mahomes, other like other names, having the two QBs is a different strategy that not everyone is comfortable with. But it's always fun. Like, I've never really heard anyone complain like, oh, man, I'm going to have to now start both Dak Prescott and Mitchell Trubisky this week. Like, I don't don't hear people complain about that all that often, but it adds a different strategical element and makes the quarterback position important. Like, we all sit here and watch NFL 12 hours a week on or 12 hours a day on Sundays, right? Like, we, we consume the sport. We know how important the quarterback position is overall. Fantasy fantasy should also represent that in some way or shape or form. And that's why I like these uh, super flex leagues or two QB leagues, because it makes the quarterback position as important as it should be compared to real life. Yep, uh, exactly right. That's exactly how I feel about that. Uh, let's stay in the AFC North uh, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. One note coming out from there. Uh, Dante Moncrief injured his finger uh, during today's practice, Monday's practice, while trying to catch a deep ball and you know had to be <laughs> attended to tra- by trainers. thing is, he started training camp as the number two opposite Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, ahead of James Washington, among others. Yeah, I like how we had to specify that he was trying to catch it on a deep ball. Like, like the route actually makes a difference on whether he can get hurt or not, or, or like the finger getting hurt. I guess maybe there's less of a chance of it breaking if it's not a five-yard rocket from Ben Roethlisberger as opposed to a floating pass. But it, it's just funny the, the distinction on the route itself. 
I've not been super high on Dante Moncrief. Like I, I liked him when he was with the Colts. Uh, I, I was a little bit of a buyer when he went to Jacksonville last season, but I haven't been completely involved in him, at least in best ball forms and trying to acquire him this season. I understand that the Steelers throw a lot. They're going to be throwing a lot this season, even without Antonio Brown. But I thought the shares would probably go more to a guy like Vance McDonald, and I thought Juju Smith-Schuster would see his numbers rise even more significantly. And I'm not ready to give up on James Washington either. I, I know a lot of people are, and he was that prospect darling entering the draft and coming out of the draft last season and then just failed miserably in his rookie year. I'm not ready to completely bury him, and I think that he could be a bit more involved in the offense than people are currently going. Now, I don't have the cojones enough to take James Washington in a draft just yet, but I feel like he does have a bit more influence uh, or could have more of an impact on that offense than Dante Moncrief, and it might be even more of a it might be more of an even split than what some people are thinking it would be. Sure, and I'm looking at the uh, ADP data from the last week on NFFC. Uh, Washington's going slightly ahead of Moncrief, 46 wide receiver, 46 versus wide receiver 51 uh, a rounds difference in the average pick and a 12 teamer basically about the same range though 88 to 141 for uh, Washington 92 to 149 for Moncrief there so you're looking in the same neighborhood you're looking at your a fantasy team's wide receiver five four or five basically right you know it's a it's a dart throw it's not a guy you're starting weekly uh, and that the makes market, sense the market is is at least pricing them as if one or the other can be successful. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I think either both can be successful or neither can be successful, but I don't know if there's going to be a situation where one or the other ends up being very good. Uh, And and it's possible that maybe um, Dante Moncrief isn't impacted by this in any way, ends up being more of a red zone threat. And then James Washington is a, between the twenties type of player and able to move the, uh, the ball down the field. So they would have utility in both a standard and PPR format. But I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's really a situation where you can just assume one or the other is going to do well. I think we got to, we got to kind of see it work. And of course they, they drafted Deontay Johnson too, in the third round, uh, this draft. And that's a good point. I wasn't, I wasn't super high in him as a prospect. They did invest some significant draft capital in him. And I suspect they're not going to just want to let him sit on the side, especially with a guy like Antonio Brown. Now, you know, vacating so many targets and receptions. Yeah. Uh, and that's, it's interesting because, you know, uh, you know, I, I think it's, you know, I, I, you know, I think that, you know, he is kind of a small school guy. Deontay Johnson is uh, at Toledo. One of three guys, basically, that were considered draft prospects. The only one of the three that got invited to the com- uh, combine, though. However, uh, as our update on him upon the draft said, he wasn't the greatest athlete. Uh, they're just they're just sold on, uh, you know, his hands and his route running, I guess. Less so on his physical tools. But. I'm kind of curious to see how this one plays out. I think the volume is there for a second receiver to have playing value. Uh, just you look at Pittsburgh traditionally, they throw the ball a ton. They, at least they have in the past. And with Lev Bell leaving, I don't see that changing. Um, I, I don't think Connor is the type of workhorse back that could support just them changing their philosophy and being so much of a, you know, a workhorse guy. Uh, I think they're going to continue to throw the ball quite a bit. Well, I'll, pos- I'll throw this question out to you. Who is the... Steelers pass catcher that you want to acquire the most behind Juju Smith-Schuster. It's Moncrief for me. So you'd rather have Moncrief over Vance McDonald. That's close, actually. I mean, McDonald for the position. I mean, the fact that you get him at a scarce position makes probably I'd say for actually for the 
If you're saying for the draft value, for the scarcity value, I'd say McDonald. I think Moncrief has ends up with better stats, but you know you're comparing against other receivers ver- instead of comparing versus other tight ends. And see, I would unquestionably rather have Vance McDonald if I'm trying to get a second pass catcher from the Steelers' offense, regardless if it's tight end. I, I just think or receiver. I, I think Vance McDonald's going to have a greater impact. Yeah, its position makes a difference, but he had 50 receptions, 610 receiving yards, and four touchdowns last year, and that was in t- when Antonio Brown was a relevant factor for that offense the entire year. I just think it's right. going to have a greater a greater impact. And I also would be sniffing around Jalen Samuels too. And I, I like James Conner. I liked him last year, and I, I felt really confident that he would fill in nicely for Le'Veon Bell. He's not just a product of the Steelers' offense. He's a really good player. But I think they're going to utilize Jalen Samuels more as a receiving threat and kind of position him all around the field and take advantage of his skill set to the point where he's getting enough snaps where maybe he takes away from a guy like Dante Moncrief or James Washington. So I'll take Vance McDonald, and then, then I'll probably go James Washington. But Jalen Samuels is in that mix too. Yeah, I definitely take Moncrief over Washington. I'm, you know, I put Washington as a poor man's or a rich man's John Ross, I guess, because uh, he's actually healthy right <laughs> now. But he he's also a poor route runner, and that's one of the things I don't like about him. Uh, we'll see about that. But uh, they're they're within a round of each other in ADP. They're easily acquirable. Matt McDonald, you actually have to invest a little bit of draft capital to get. Um, I think that's the difference. Uh, before we go any farther, uh, let's go ahead and share a note from our friends at Yahoo. It's officially July, which means football season is around the corner. It's almost July's almost over for that one, for that matter. And Yahoo Fantasy has introduced a new fantasy football game called Best Ball that lets you get in on the action now. With Best Ball, you draft your fantasy football team, and that's it. You don't need to do a thing once you've drafted your team. Each week, the top scorers at each position on your roster will automatically count towards your weekly score. Forget about the time commitment. No waiver wire, no trades, no adding or dropping players, no having to make those tough starter-sit decisions. Focus on the best part of fantasy football, the draft. Tired of doing mock drafts for your fantasy team and having the other players drop out early and not finish the draft? Free best ball leagues give you the most accurate ADP, or average draft position, of players before the season starts. Can't get enough fantasy football but don't want to manage those teams all season? You can draft up to 50 best ball teams. Play for free or for play for cash. But most importantly, get to drafting with Yahoo Fantasy Best Ball. Join a league today at sports.yahoo.com slash best ball. Coming soon to the Yahoo Fantasy app as well. All right, Joe Bartell, Jeff Erickson are here. Uh, he's Joe. I'm Jeff. Uh, we're talking on a Monday, Monday, July 29th, talking about some of the breaking news going on. And there's still quite a bit. Uh, you know, it's been a very busy you know, training camp here so far, Joe. Uh, looking at all the wide receivers, uh, we've got news on Emmanuel Sanders, which and he's kind of in that same block of guys, and according to ADP at least, as the the two Pittsburgh guys we were talking about earlier, he's already doing eleven on eleven drills, coming back from a, a severe Achilles injury. Are you optimistic about Sanders? See, and I'll take Emmanuel Sanders over both the Pittsburgh guys, ADP wise, hands down. I think so too. And I, I don't even like the Broncos offense whatsoever. I think Joe Flacco, maybe he's not Eli Manning bad, but he is near the bottom when it comes to NFL starting quarterbacks right now. I'm not super impressed with our other uh, pass catchers, despite the fact that I do like Cortland Sutton. I just don't think that offense um, is going to be revolutionary enough to really get the most out of the, the skill sets they have. And um, I, yeah, I, I, the Noah Fant pick was interesting to me because the Broncos have so many tight ends and all have been hurt or injured and are kind of athletic guys, tweener dudes. And yet we got another 
athletic tweener do that probably isn't going to be very helpful in the next two or three well next season this season but even next season i'm not sure if he's going to develop into the pass catcher that the broncos might have hoped he would be given where they invested draft wise so i like emmanuel sanders to the point where you you can you can't really do worse when it comes to a starting wide receiver who's shown the ability to be a thousand yard uh 80 catch type of guy even in a bad offense the achilles injury scares me a little bit last season obviously he missed most of the the year with the achilles or i guess missed the final four games no he yeah he missed the final four games um but I, I still think that he could actually be a pretty good impact for a very late, like a wide receiver four or five pick. Like I feel, I feel okay. Given all my concerns, about the Broncos offense to still take a guy like Sanders. Yeah. I, I've seen and heard similar uh, takes Cortland Sutton versus Amanda Sanders. Who do you prefer? Same, same draft position wise. That's what you're saying. Like, uh, all right, we're taking both and I could take either one in the 10th round. Which one do I go with? Well, I mean that that's kind of giving you a little bit of a windfall, I suppose, because Sutton is uh, his ADP well, is considerably that's higher. That's what I was asking. Yeah, I think I think I would feel more comfortable with Sanders and his ADP than Sutton and where he's going, which is a little bit higher. Uh, I under maybe it's the format too. Like if it's the PPR, I think it also leans more to Emmanuel Sanders, where Sutton, if everything goes right, could have a Kenny Galladay sort of breakout season. And his influence in the red zone could be a, a large part of that. I'm not convinced Flacco is a good enough quarterback to have a Broncos offense that will effectively move to the red zone. And if they do, they'll probably use a myriad of their running backs. They already currently have like Philip Lindsay. I'm, I'm not running away from at all. And it feels like a lot of the public perception, at least in best ball formats is oh, I got to stay away from Philip Lindsay. And I don't, I don't quite get that. So sure. Uh, I, I like Sanders more so for his ADP, but I'm also not entirely scared away from what Cortland Sutton is just based off of upside alone. Fill in the blank for me. Drew Locke replaces Joe Flacco in week 12, 12. I'm going to go week 12 and I don't really have like uh, the, Oh, this is who the Broncos are going to be playing. But I think John Elway is going to be stubborn enough to try and convince the coaching staff. That they need to keep Joe Flacco in there to at least have some return on that trade value till a certain point. And week 12 feels like the area where the Broncos will be completely ruled out of the playoffs. They'll be uh, like a, a four and uh, well, not four. Maybe they will be like a four and six team at that point. And it's like, all right, well, the chiefs and chargers are both at eight wins and are going to be set for the playoffs. I might as well try our, our new quarterback. So give me week 12. I don't think Flacco gets hurt, but he's absolutely going to get replaced as the starting quarterback at some point next season. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that, all that there. I think you're right. Uh, let's stay with the wide re- injured wide receiver theme. Uh, Jamison Crowder got hurt today in practice. Uh, he's, you know, he's so cursed, it feels like. Uh, but it's his left foot is being looked by trainers. I've seen foot. I've seen ankle. I've seen uh, varying reports on this. You know, he just can't stay healthy. Uh, I know you were talking earlier. You're not thrilled about the Jets offense either. Uh got the Adam gaze issue there. You're trying and, and Crowder in particular, he's trying to fight for like, you know, targets with Robbie Anderson, Quincy and Nunwa, even Lev bell for that matter uh, is going to be, and, and, you know, and Chris Herndon, when he comes back from his suspension, you know, there, it's going to be kind of crowded to get targets for Crowder. The people that take Lamar Miller in round seven and eight and get excited about, it, or at least are, are fine with it. And like, all right, I got a starting running back in round seven. Yippee. Are the same people that get excited about taking Jameson Crowder around 15 or 16. Like, yes, 
he's probably guaranteed if he's healthy. And that's, I think now a big, if at this point, he's probably guaranteed 600 receiving yards and, and 50 receptions if he's healthy and that's fine. I don't know if the ceiling is at all there for Crowder even before this injury. And it's a little bit scary. Maybe it's just because we're coming off the AJ green news where, Oh yeah, he'll be fine. And oh, actually now he's out six to eight weeks with torn ligaments in his ankle that I I'm a little bit less than optimistic about what Crowder status will be. He's going to have an MRI uh, schedule. And I, I have a feeling we'll probably find out more about his status moving forward as soon as Wednesday, but even still you're right. I don't, care for that jets offense all that much. I like Sam Darnold, Sam Darnold a lot as a quarterback. I thought, and I, and this will look bad now, but I, I still stand by this. Sam Darnold, I think is the best quarterback to come out of that draft. I understand Baker Mayfield went number one uh, and he did excellent things last season and he beat Sam Darnold when they had to play each other. I still think Sam Darnold's going to be the better quarterback. And that was not at all dismissing Baker Mayfield. I think Baker's also going to be a top 10 quarterback for a long time in this league. I just think Sam Darnold's that good. He didn't quite show that last year. I thought he'd be a little bit better than what he did, but at the same time I, I'm not scared off by, and I'm also not scared off by Josh Rosen for what it's worth. So I, I don't think uh, Jamison Crowder will have all that much influence. Even if he's healthy on Sam Darnold's development, he might cut into Le'Veon Bell's receptions a little bit, but even still, I just don't, I'm not at all interested in him and his, uh, I'm going to go quote unquote air quotes here. The, the upside that he might have with the 50 catches and 600 yards. I don't think he does anything better than that in that passing attack. All right. Moving on. Calvin Ridley suffered a hamstring injury, worked with the rehab group in Monday's practice, tweaked the hamstring Thursday, held out of practice over the weekend. This is described as a small step forward. But, you know, you never like seeing the, this type of injury from any receiver, you know, any time. At least it's early enough before the preseason starts. But it's one of those there, if it drags on, if he starts to miss games, then you're worried a little bit. Yeah, I was actually the one writing most of these notes that came in, at least on Saturday, and Ridley was among that group. That was a that one kind of slid under the radar, and we had the A.J. Green injury, Theo oh, yep. release, and what that meant for carry on Johnson. Uh, there was also the golden Tate news that surfaced as well with his four game suspension. So somehow the fact that a receiver like Kelvin Ridley, who's going in the fourth, fifth, sixth rounds in a lot of different drafts, having a hamstring injury, which head coach, uh, Dan Quinn basically said, well, I don't know. We'll see when he's get health when he gets back healthy. That was a bit of a red flag to me. The fact that he was really vague with the return, the fact that he, now that he's working with the rehab group Monday, okay tells me that he's probably going to return and probably return soon. Like I don't even know if he missed any preseason games, but he's going in that range where Chris Godwin, Mike Williams are and DJ Moore, who a lot of people are super high on. I'm not, this only reinforces my love more for a guy like Chris Godwin and Mike Williams. Uh, and I'll certainly take Tyler Lockett as well over a guy like Kelvin Ridley too. So while it shouldn't impact it, and he probably isn't going to miss any time whatsoever, any sort of little nagging hamstring injury could could impact that or my value of Kelvin really slightly. And I, I say this all being that Mike Williams actually came up a little bit lame at the end of the chargers practice today. And I don't know if we quite had the news, but I'm just seeing it come across my Twitter timeline. He was fine and, and moving with reporters fine, but he was grabbing his ankle towards the end of practice. So there you go. I, you know, Kelvin Ridley, Mike Williams, I'll still take Mike Williams, but both look like they might have a little bit of dings up after the first days of training camp. Mike Williams might be the subject of more hot takes on Twitter this year than in this, in this early draft season than anybody else I've seen. Uh, I'm really surprised at like the ferocity of these takes. But as far as people are really high in him or are they both really ends, or both, both sides, fifth round yeah. too soon, fifth round too late. 
You know, it's because it's because he was taking number seven overall in 2017, and people were just so stunned that that was such a, a bad pick that they're willing to live or die by whatever side they felt when he was drafted. Truth of the matter is. He's probably not getting 10 touchdown receptions like he did last year, but he will be a red zone threat more so than Melvin Gordon, who is a red zone option for the chargers more so than Hunter Henry, who's coming back healthy. They targeted Mike Williams a lot. And in particular, I think of the game where they beat the chiefs later towards the end of the season yep. to make that division more competitive. He caught the game winning touchdown. And he also caught the game winning two point conversion where the chiefs defender mysteriously just stopped covering him and he was wide open. He also took a reverse or took a jet sweep for like a 19 yard rushing touchdown too. And he had some jets when he did that. I think that we haven't, we haven't seen close to whatever the tip is for Mike Williams. And I don't know if we're going to get that this year necessarily, but with Keaton Allen operating over the middle of the field, Phil Rivers has not been afraid to target Mike Williams deep because of his big body and how he's been able to go get those passes. We're going to see that more this season. I feel very comfortable with his ADP where it is right now. You mentioned Keenan Allen that in that that Chiefs game that was the Keenan Allen screw job game. I mean, all his fantasy owners were like, "Oh yes, got a Chiefs game and all that," and nothing got hurt and you know just was a non-factor in that game and that that was huge. That's one of the reasons though why Mike Williams, you know, I think people are excited about him, but it's also why he was so productive in that particular game. Just you got to have somebody to throw it to. Right, right, and. Well, you would think when Keenan Allen goes out, who's the first person they're targeting? Not essentially a rookie wide receiver because Mike Williams missed most of his rookie season uh, with that back injury. But they're probably going to be targeting Tyrell Williams, or at least if you said Keenan Allen's out, who are they going to go to? It was just the fact that they utilized Mike Williams so much in that game that it became really apparent to me, uh, having watched the Chargers for some time, that they weren't ever going to re-sign Tyrell Williams this offseason, that right. it was going to be Mike Williams that ended up being the number two guy. And sure enough, that's what ended up happening. I'm sure they didn't want Tyrell Williams to go to a division rival in the Raiders, but I think they were more than happy with letting him leave, given the promise that Mike Williams showed in his second season, in particular in the red zone. There was multiple times where he made some ridiculous plays over defenders that I wouldn't have thought even despite the fact that he's six foot four and 220 he still did some things agility wise and uh, just being able to stay on his feet that big receivers like him just aren't supposed to do true 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 indeed um so mike williams over ridley um how about ridley versus tyler boyd guy that signed a contract extension at the opening of training camp already see ag green hurt it's coming off his breakout season where are you on tyler boyd I like Tyler Boyd a lot and I was in on him, his rookie season and he ended up just not getting enough looks really to be a relevant guy. But certainly my, my family and friends dynasty keeper league, I had actually picked him up and had to drop him at some point due to roster constraints and couldn't really capitalize him last season when he sort of broke out. I'm concerned even with him being the number one guy, if AJ green misses any time Boyd would automatically fill into that role. I'm concerned how good that Bengals offense is just going to be overall. And I wonder if that limits him. Whereas Calvin Ridley, we know how good the Falcons are going to be. And they have been for years now for sure. He had 10, 10 touchdown receptions last year, 64 uh, catches overall. I think he gets more catches. I think he gets more yards, less touchdowns. It's quite possible that he ends up being the biggest breakout receiver this season. And I wouldn't be at all surprised. Whereas Tyler Boyd just seems limited by the lack of weapons, whether it be on the offense line or quarterback or even the defense that's kind of situated around him. Indeed. Before we talk about uh, any more Ricky news and any more wide receivers, because that seems to be the theme of this pod, let's share you a note from our friends at fancy draft.com fancy draft.com would like to bring you an important message about rake. 
Are you tired of paying high fees to play Daily Fantasy? Did you know that over time, these fees, called rake, can cost Daily Fantasy players over 30% of their bankroll? As Daily Fantasy sites continue to raise rake, prize pools are being squeezed more and more, making it harder and harder for players like you to win. More rake means just, just means more money lining the pockets of the big DFS sites and less money for players. But change is coming. Starting in July, Fantasy Draft is changing the game by bringing you rake-free Daily Fantasy. That's right. Soon you'll be able to play your favorite contests without paying any rake. On Fantasy Draft, 100% of entry fees will be paid out to contest winners 100% of the time. Playing your favorite contests rake-free on Fantasy Draft will save you hundreds or even thousands of dollars American in rake every month. Rake-free Daily Fantasy is truly a game changer. Just imagine what playing on Fantasy Draft is going to do for your bankroll. Register at FancyDraft.com today and be the first to know when the rake-free revolution begins. Use promo code RWNFL to receive a free seven-day trial. All right, Joe Bartell, you and I are talking about wide receivers and you know, uh, looking at a couple, a couple more guys I want to talk about before we uh, move on to other topics. Uh, I want to talk Titans a little bit here. Uh, I, I, are you Team Titan at all? Do you like Corey Davis, A.J. Brown, anybody else in that uh, wide receiver core? Well, I definitely don't like A.J. Brown and his latest injury. That was a bit of a concern to me because I'm, I'm not convinced Marcus Mariota can be an effective quarterback to get it out there. I, I don't think I'll ever be able to quit Corey Davis, and <laughs> I don't yeah. want to draft him necessarily. But, man, if he's able to get it all together, that's got to be one of the more tantalizing prospects that's come out since Kelvin Johnson. And I, I really don't think that's hyper, hyper, hyperbole. I really believe that he is that gifted of an athlete. And what he's able to do size speed wise, like it's 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 frustrating to see him fall to a place like Tennessee. Let's say if he got drafted by the Patriots and obviously the Patriots will never have a high pick is where he went. But if he had went to a team that could really utilize him both with the quarterback and the offensive scheme, man, I think we'd be able to see some special things already. But I'm not I'm not quite ready to quit Corey Davis. I'm also not ready to draft him. I think he's one of those guys that I'd love to see do well. He just won't be doing well on my fantasy team. See, I, I think I'm going to have some shares of him. I think his price is pretty affordable. Uh, at the 34th wide receiver, uh, that's picked like basically 78. Yeah, I think I'm going to have him a couple of places. Uh, you know, he was. It's funny we talked, spent some time on John Ross. We spent more time on Mike Williams. Well, Corey Davis was drafted before both of those guys in the same draft. Uh, and I understand the the QB restraints here. I, I understand that that that's been a problem. Who's been throwing him the ball? And I think that's a. I think that slowed his development. I think. Also having, you know, unimaginative coaching coaches also probably hurt him a little bit earlier on, too. I'm more bullish on him, I think. I, I think I probably will have three to four f- shares of him by the time draft season is done. Well, he's, again, going pick 78, so that's around six, around six and a half, seven in NFFC formats. Uh, I will take Christian Kirk over him, who's going around later. I'll take Will, Ful- will Fuller over him outright, who's going around later. I'm not ready to jump completely on Cortland Sutton, but I would have took Sterling Shepard over Corey Davis. And that was about two rounds around uh, and a half earlier. This latest injury with the broken finger has me backing off just a little bit. And again, it's more so that I like Christian Kirk's situation, Will Fuller's situation uh, better than what Corey Davis is. But you're right. If you're looking for a wide receiver three, and that's kind of where I, at least how I've been constructing my rosters, 
in that round seven or eight range, if I'm not going quarterback and I don't need to take a tight end, which has happened every once in a while, I'll start considering a Corey Davis more. I'll certainly take him over a Lamar Miller or any of those types of running backs, mm-hmm. but it's just one of those. You will not be I, happy taking Lamar Miller in the seventh. I, no, not, I, unlike no, your I, canonical no, example. Because Corey Davis has way more upside than whatever Lamar Miller is. Great that you have a running back, too, that can get 700 yards and five touchdowns, and he might be able to play all 16 games. If Corey Davis actually realizes the potential and is able to kind of fit into the situation passing-wise for Tennessee, he can easily get 1,100 receiving yards and, and 10 touchdowns and, let's say, maybe 90 receptions. Like It's, it's entirely possible that he could be a second-round pick by next year when we're drafting entirely possible Lamar Miller is never going to be a second round pick again. Sorry, Lamar Miller truthers. It's just not going to happen out there. So yeah, I will take a Corey Davis over any of those guys, but I do like Will Fuller and Christian Kirk who are going about a round later than a guy like Corey Davis. I think lately that ADP has tightened in the last week or so. They're all kind of good. That's how it should be. Yeah. (laughs) So there, so there take that, uh, you know, and Tennessee as a whole, Delaney Walker's coming back after getting hurt in week one. Jonu Smith may not be ready uh, for the start of the season. He's running the routes at least, but he's coming back from a torn MCL, suffered late in the season. Even Derrick Henry's already banged up a little bit here. I, I think there's opportunity to be had. And I think the one thing is if Mariota gets hurt this year, at least they have, <clears throat> I, I, I say this as a positive, not a negative, that they have Ryan Tannehill back him up. They have... Somebody at least who you know is better than what they had last year. Is that the first ever compliment for Ryan Tannehill on any sort of airwaves in the last two years? Mm, it could be. It's possible. First documented case of a compliment of Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, as a backup, Ryan Tannehill's not too bad. But they, if everyone's healthy, and I don't, I don't know if AJ Brown is like that. That injury sounded a little bit worse for where Saturday when it occurred. Yeah. If everyone's healthy with AJ Brown, Adam Humphreys, and a guy like uh, Taewon Taylor, who I kind of like too. There might not be enough mile, or there might be too many miles to feed for Corey Davis to truly put together a breakout season like I had talked about. The potential again is there. His situation in an offense, and if the offense can even realize its situation entirely, is different. And Derek Henry, uh, his hamstring injury, which we haven't even got to, that or I'm sorry, not hamstring, it was a foot injury. He was in a walking boot, at least on Saturday. That could also cloud any potential of the Titans being an effective two-dimensional offense. Certainly they could still throw a Dion Lewis and things like that. But if you don't have Derrick Henry, I think that's, that's a team that has playoff aspirations might not win more than eight games. Yeah. Newfound optimism with Derrick Henry going into the, you know, the season and then right away Saturday wearing a walking boot has a foot injury after uh, leaving Friday's practice early day to day. Aren't we all blah, blah, blah. But you know, <laughs> his ADP was 38. Uh, going, you know, at the start of the start of draft season, I think that'll drop a little bit, especially as we start to, you know, although that's not true. I, I keep finding him going earlier in the drafts I've been in, but maybe this injury will kind of cool that down just a little bit there too. I guess maybe, uh, I'm, I have one draft in my mind that you and I were both in where, uh, that, that skews my <laughs> mental ADP of him. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he wouldn't go there normally. He went in the back end of the first round of the Vegas draft. And that was more so that we inserted the drafty maybe mere seconds before he had a pick. So I, I don't blame him. The the thing with Derek Henry and why I have been scared with his current ADP, ADP value as is, is that he's entirely one dimensional, right? Like he had 15 catches last season, 11 the year before and 13 the year before that he could be a decent receiving threat. He reminds me a little bit of Leonard Fournette and the way that Jacksonville just chooses absolutely not to use him as a receiver. Henry can do that. 
but they just choose not to. And they certainly have invested resources, particularly in Deion Lewis, to the point where it probably doesn't make sense to really utilize him in that capacity. So if he's able to get 250 carries, he's probably getting around that 1,000 yards that we saw last year and 12 touchdowns. But it's not a guarantee that he gets 250 carries and certainly not a guarantee that he gets 250 touches overall. Sure. And that's where I get a bit concerned where, yeah, you got 12 touchdowns last year. Is that really something that can be uh, replicated year in, year out? I don't know if that's the case. And he's another running back that I'm kind of trying to avoid in that early round range. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, there's plenty of receivers you can get there or you can grab one of the that's top exactly three tight ends. That's why I take the running backs first. So I don't have to make that decision. Just give me the receiver or tight end that falls. I think a lot of people have that approach. I don't know. I, I kind of like some of the third and fourth round running backs. I'm 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 willing to steer into that a little bit, but uh, I get. Yeah, the are impulse. you completely in on Kenyon Drake now, or are you going to try to give me the excuse oh. that his ADP is now falling even more, so you can feel more comfortable uh, taking him? You're gonna go. You're <laughs> gonna you're gonna dunk on me this early, Jeff. Uh, I have the opportunity. I have to take it. Yeah, it's it's still <laughs> you know. Caleb Balazs, starting running back for the Dolphins. Got to get all aboard that Kenyon Drake train. That is not part of God's plan. That is not part of God's plan. (laughs) Bad things, man. Bad things. Uh, I I, I still believe in Drake's talent, and I just won't. I will be paying a lot lesser of a price and still getting him is the way I look at it here. But that's, I, I, that's kind of how Mario felt too. And I don't, I don't blame you if he does fall to the seventh or eighth round, which is what kind of early returns in NFFC drafts were looking like. That's that again, that that's Lamar Miller territory. I, Kenny and Drake's better than Lamar Miller. So yeah, I, I'll go ahead and take him in that situation. If I really need a running back two or running back three, but man, you couldn't have me caught dead taking where he was going currently, even like beginning of last week. And I feel just just slightly vindicated. I guarantee you, you shouldn't though. I mean, you didn't do anything. I mean, oh, no, no, he, it was all me. It was all me. That's what the coaching staff was listening to all the times I talked on Sirius XM and all the podcasts saying how he just isn't worth that. And they're like, yeah, that Joe Bartle guy, he's, he's got something. He's got something we don't know. So let's put Caleb Balazs in there and see what happens. To that Dolphins offense. Uh, so painful. So painful. <laughs> Such a, all right. This is, this is me as sitting in my chair, not as a football coach complaining about the usage of Kenyon Drake, 3000 miles away in training camp. Mind you, we're talking about training camp, not even like full season practice. Right, right. It's, uh, it's just the, the first team training camp snaps. It, it should be pointed out that Ryan Fitzpatrick was also the first team starting quarterback for the Dolphins. And I try to make the point Saturday that if the team is clearly making bad decisions, and I think Ryan Fitzpatrick starting over Josh Rosen is a bad decision, how much can we really look into the bad decision that Kenny Drake is getting uh, benched in favor of Kalen Balaj when it comes to first team snaps? So yeah, I don't know about – I'm going to push back a little bit. I don't know if Fitzpatrick is clearly a worse option than Rosen. Oh, do tell. Give me some – I mean, I, I think it depends on what you're going for. I, well, I want to win games. If you want to win games right now, <laughs> I think Fitzpatrick is probably better suited than Rosen. Uh, see, you're you're clouded by the Cardinals situation last year, and I don't blame you. Yeah, because the Dolphins really situation is going to be so great. <laughs> so great. You're, the Rosen's this cushy little landing spot. He's going to be, hey, hey life is right. good now. I've got this you're great right. offense. No, I don't. Ah. Uh, yeah, and the defense there. is also not going to help him out or do him any favors either. However, I think the, the AFC East is a more winnable 
division, not that going to win the division, that's blasphemy, but it's a more winnable division than going against the Seahawks, Rams, and 49ers. And the 49ers, even though despite all their injuries, were were a kind of sleepy contender for or sleeper contender for a playoff spot last year. I, I don't think that same situation happens. And year two of Josh Rosen with better weapons, and I do feel confident saying better weapons with the Dolphins, should make things a little bit easier for him. Ryan Fitzpatrick's could do fine in two games. He'll throw for 400 yards, he'll probably four touchdowns and four picks in both of them. And then he'll make some bonehead play that cost the Dolphins the game. And Josh Rosen's going to be in there. I think the Dolphins know what they are going to be this season. And it's a three, four, five win team. So why not give the young quarterback a chance to develop with your franchise and really show that you want him to be the starting quarterback. If you don't have to take a quarterback with your top pick next year, that's great. That's fantastic. If you already have the quarterback in house, like I think they do in Josh Rosen, let him be Ryan Fitzpatrick is not your starting quarterback for the future. Let Rosen see if he can be, he might be the starting quarterback for the present though. That's all I'm saying. Whoever looks <laughs> best in training camp and preseason will probably get the job. You know, it may not be in, you know, nothing, nothing stays permanent here, but I, I think that he, be, he Fitzpatrick, begins the year as a starter and plays minimum six games. That's my uh, that's, I, I could see that happening and I think it's a mistake, but you're right. If he does at the beginning or if he does end up being the starter, begin the year week six is probably as long of a leash as I'd be willing to give him. And uh, I would be the first person to probably pick up Josh Rose. If I needed a quarterback in a two QB league, if that event were to occur, cause I really do believe in his talent. And I think the pass catchers in Miami, as much as that offense is going to be bad and it will be, um, we'll do enough for him. He's got enough talent around where you'll be able to see the potential that Rosen has. That's right. That's right. Um, I, I actually think it's the right decision to play Rosen a bit ultimately, but I can see initially, maybe not. I don't know. I it just, it, as they're trying to get him acclimated to their system and all that. And if he, he's got to show something, he's got to show that he's clearly better. I don't think it's just gifted to him. I think he's going to have to earn it. And I'm a little, I, I I'm not sure if he will. Um, so, Anyways, uh, let's uh, before we move on for let's get one more read in here from our friends at Superdraft. The future of daily fantasy sports has arrived. Experience Superdraft's exclusive game mode, Multiplier. Say goodbye to salary restrictions and hello to lineup freedom. Use your fantasy sports knowledge to draft any player you want and build your own very own dream team. Countless lineup possibilities let you experience daily fantasy sports the way you want. Superdraft offers contests for NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, and PGA, so you can enjoy the best of DFS all year round. Sign up for Superdraft today using promo code ROTOWIRE and claim your free $5 in super cash and a free $3 entry with your first deposit. Download in the App Store or play at Superdraft.io. Superdraft, no limits, more winning. Okay, Joe, uh, before we sign off today, a couple of things I wanted to discuss. Uh, and that's just kind of uh, adjusting to leagues, different formats of leagues. You play in a lot of leagues, double-digit leagues, plus best ball. I do the same. I started the Raz Bowl today. Uh, it's a mod- it's it's a better ball. It's mostly best. It's modeled after the NFFC cut line draft where it's, you know, we have like 10 moves and none in the first nine weeks, I think. Uh, and then we have, a, have like a slew of management at the end. But uh, otherwise, it's best ball, and it's kind of interesting there. But uh, the point being is, we play in a lot of leagues. We play with different formats. And I think 
you know, you know, I think too much fancy advice gets dispensed as one size fits all. I know for veteran players out there, this is like, you know, dog bites, man stuff. I get that. I think if you're starting playing fancy football or if you've only played in one or two leagues a year, sometimes you don't appreciate that. And you may not even notice it within your one or two leagues. No, absolutely not. There's two things that I'll tell new players or people that really haven't dived into fantasy football the way you and I have. And I have definitely dived in having double digit fantasy leagues is a lot of fun. It's also really stressful. There are moments on Sundays where I can't believe that I've decided to do 14 different leagues, but yet here I am. And I do love drafting every single one of them. The management side of things sometimes can be frustrating. So I'm very thankful for best ball formats. But the two things I tell people Every single time when we're talking about fantasy football and they're kind of new to it, A, know your rules, know your scoring system, and then B, do preparation for the draft. Whether that be mock draft itself, whether do best ball drafts, that's great. I just want you to tier your players and kind of rank them the way they need to. You can't do one without the other. You can't rank your players or kind of have an idea of what you value until you understand your scoring system. Right. And there's a lot of different scoring systems out there in a lot of different unique ways. Like we were talking about earlier, the two QB or super flex leagues, PPR formats, half PPR, quarter PPR, one and a half PPR. Like there's a lot of different things and we've been in a lot of different ones to IDP formats, individual player. Is it just a team kicker? Is it a team quarterback, team defense? I'm saying all these, th- all these things. And hopefully you guys are nodding along or just shaking your head that I can rattle off so many different things. They're all different leagues that I've been in. And I right. can safely say that I've kind of seen the scoring system. I use Rotowire's draft software and I am a company man. So of course sure. there's draft software, but it helps when organizing and making tiers for players. It, you can add and adjust and even kind of tinker with a lot of the different scoring settings that you have, and it makes it a lot more easy to keep track of stuff. Sometimes you look at maybe ESPN rankings, and I do this all the time. You look at ESPN rankings and then be like, well, wait, that doesn't actually apply to my standard league or my PPR league or my, my 2QB league. It just doesn't make sense. Having the RotoWire draft software up and available, uh, kind of putting in and inputting the systems that you work best for your scoring system makes a huge difference. And again, it's it's one of the first things I'll tell a person that's new to fantasy football or kind of getting, it, getting into it that just make sure you are aware of what the scoring settings are because it's always different. Every single league, there's just one small thing or two small things that happens every time. It's not just scoring system. It's also, more Rosters. importantly, the, the roster slots. Who, how many starters you have, where, you know, where they're apportioned, all this matters. I mean, the biggest single change you can ever make in a fantasy football league is adding the QB flex. We've talked about it before. Super flex, QB flex, two QBs, however you want to phrase it. That That's the biggest game changer right there, period. It changes everything uh, because, you know, it, it multiplies the most important position, makes it a far more scarce position when you have to start two or it's advantageous to start two. Uh, the second biggest change is adding IDPs instead of team defenses. I, I think that that one gets overlooked a ton. I know you agree with this. I know you've dealt with this in the past, too. Uh, you know, IDPs are just, you know, a whole different world out there. And if you don't and if if you're doing more than a token one or two, you know, knowing your IDPs puts you at a huge advantage over the rest of your league. Yeah, and it levels the playing field. Obviously, the biggest IDP that I know, and I maybe maybe it's the case for you as well, is the the infamous Rotoware Stake League, which is by far the most important um, league at the Rotoware office in Madison than anybody any other league out there. Like you could have the the two hundred thousand dollar Rotoware online championships in the NFFC. That's a really important league, and if you win a lot of money, that's even better. Stake League is still as important 
mainly for the breaking rates. And we do do IDP leagues for that, or we do an IDP format. So it's one defensive end or rusher, one linebacker and one secondary player. Generally the safeties are the ones that are valued when we're talking about IDPs because they get tackles. Uh, the same goes for those linebackers like a Darius Leonard who are able to get tackles and also turnovers. The pass rushes though, and how much points are awarded to the sacks uh, makes a big difference. If you want to target a guy like Khalil Mack or Aaron Donald as opposed to anyone else, I'm telling you all this, not because you really need to know the word wire stake league scoring system, but because right. IDP formats are definitely the way I would go. If I'm really diving more into fantasy football and want to get more involved than just the traditional stuff, like great, uh, the two QB league. And then at least some point for PPR, whether it's full or half will be the two additions that I would make right away. If I was to start a league today, I would then make it an auction league. And if I really wanted to spice things up, IDP would be the next way to go. And I, I hope it gets more gains, more steam. Cause it's fun to root on and kind of strategize different defensive players that are available and out there. But I understand that that might be two in the weeds, two right. QB leagues, PPR auction league. Just start with that as your standard league moving forward, America, and they'll be doing pretty well. All right. And then uh, the other uh, huge change is PPR versus standard or PPR versus half point PPR uh, and how that affects certain players is kind of understated at times. I think, you know, I'll give you the a flashpoint guy is Tariq Cohen in a PPR league. You know, it's perfectly acceptable to take him in the fourth round, third round, fourth round in a standard league. You don't want him as your RB2. I'll tell you that much. Right. Or a guy like James White, too. And we've seen what the Patriots can do with those types of receiving backs. I like it when my fantasy football translates to what I'm seeing on the field. So that's why I like when quarterbacks are incredibly valuable. I like when we're seeing more revolutionary offenses in the NFL that utilize the running backs as receivers like Tariq Cohen, James White also translate into fantasy football. So, uh, yeah, I I think that's another big a big point. And I don't know what your thoughts are on the full point or half point PPR, just any point that rewards some sort of reception to get, if not the receivers like Julian Edelman, who might not get a lot of touchdown options, but still get a lot of targets, more value. I like it that PPR provides more running backs with a safer floor. And especially in today's game, having more fantasy relevant running backs is a good thing because there just aren't enough right now. It feels like they're dwindling every single season. I'd, I'd extend that, say, more fancy-relevant players, period, is good. Yes. Uh, and just, for that matter, more starting spot and starting spots. I'll bang the drum. Um, I know Scott Pianowski is the head of the drum line on that one there, but I'm with him on that one, lockstep, too. The more starting spots you have, the better. I mean, Brad, Heavens, Brad Evans' league, uh, the Sin City league that we did uh, at the Vegas uh, conference for Rotowire, I mean, that one, we have a flex, a super flex, two tight ends. Uh, we, we have it all three wide receivers. So it really is, uh, you know, it really tests your depth and it's, it allows you to unearth those hidden gems, those guys that you can find that are getting, Oh, all of a sudden they're getting nine targets. You don't even realize it before everybody else does. And, or, and, and you're, you're on top of that there. Love, love being able to unearth those gems. The more roster spots also, I think draws a distinct advantage for people that do preparation before obviously luck is a huge part of fantasy football. And that's the dirty little secret about the game that we love. And the game we talk about a lot is that we can sit here and spend lots of hours projecting things out. And ultimately Saquon Barkley might not do very well, despite a fantastic match against the chiefs compared to CJ Anderson and going in somebody else who he shouldn't have. Like, like that's just the name of the game. We can only do so much, but enough research. You can kind of figure out who those hidden gems, like you mentioned are, who are getting some more targets. Maybe there's uh, more red zone opportunities uh, lately for a player. And it makes those, 
those extra spots worth it. Like that's the difference maker. It feels like all the time, especially in large roster leagues where you're starting 12 or 14 people. The one player that you wouldn't have anticipated going off entering this entering the day always seems to make the biggest difference. And that to me gravitates to who's the better player in fantasy. And it's such a difficult thing to decide who's a better fantasy player than somebody else. But generally speaking, the better fantasy player has as much information as they can, is able to make an accurate decision enough times where they come out ahead in those situations. Indeed. That is going to wrap up today's Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, for more information, of course, hit the website and check out the draft software. I, you know, if you're getting an early draft, hey, go, jump on that now. Get a good idea. You know, plug in those settings into the software and explore the, the results beforehand. You know, and maybe spit out some results that you find. You know, like, oh, I didn't think I would never take him there. But then you look into it a little bit more and you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But make sure you check that all out. Do do your pre-work there. Take some time, load up the load up the settings, see what uh, the difference is between like a standard scoring league and a, a PPR league versus, you know, a QB flex league. Put them all in and you can see the difference and you can judge for yourself whether those values or those rankings make sense to you and tweak accordingly too. Uh, for Joe, I'm Jeff Erickson. Thank you again for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast sponsored by Yahoo Daily Fantasy Sports. Joe will be back at it again tomorrow. So take care.